Hey everyone, and welcome to today's episode of the Plant Powered Dog Podcast. Today, I'm super excited to have a very special guest. Her name is Caroline Buck, and Caroline is the co-founder of Petaluma Dog Food. And it is a newer comer, I guess you could say, to the market. And it's really, um, it's got some unique qualities. And I already know from Facebook that a lot of you use it and really love it. So I thought we'd dive a little bit deeper into um, Petaluma and some questions that you guys might have surrounding that, um, that I'm going to ask Caroline. So just as a little background, Caroline graduated from Dartmouth College, and she's the co-founder and also the chief marketing uh, officer at Petaluma. Her background is predominantly in product marketing, business development, and growth marketing. Most recently, Caroline was VP of marketing at Mexico-based software services company WiseLine, and I hope I'm saying that correctly. Um, you you can correct me if I'm not. Um, which <laughs> she helped scale from 200 people to more than 1,200 people in just three years. And that's pretty darn impressive. Um, prior to that, Caroline was a product marketer at Yahoo in the advertising technology product team. Her background of leading and building teams, creating differentiated brand positioning and sales business development provides a broad set of tools for growing Petaluma. It definitely does. So Caroline, welcome today. I'm so happy to finally meet you, if you will, and get to talk to you. So thanks. Thanks so much for having me. And I loved reading yeah. your book recently. It's been a great resource to pass along to customers and colleagues alike. It's just, it's like a little uh, glossary of anything that you need um, when you're getting started <laughs> on this journey. I, re I really appreciate how approachable and also in-depth it is. It's a great, it's a great resource. Thank you. Well, now that you mentioned it, I guess I will hold it up. <laughs> So it's such you. a cute cover. <laughs> yeah, I love the cover. And I have to say, I chose that cover. Um, so thank you. Yeah. So <laughs> obviously, you have a very in-depth and interesting background. Um, but there's something that I didn't see there. <laughs> and that was anything related to the pet food industry. So why don't we start there? Can you tell us a bit about why you switched over and decided to not only co-found a dog food company, but a vegan or plant-based, if you will, dog food company. Yeah, absolutely. And pet food is really such an odd industry for how big it is. I think there's like, it could be a whole conversation on its own of how, how kind of strange it is um, that it is billions of dollars, but it's kind of, um, you know, there are a few giant CPG companies kind of dominating the conversation that um, it's interesting. I don't, it's certainly not a field I would have ever predicted for myself. Um, but as some background, I've been a pretty obsessive dog person my entire life. Um, I wouldn't say I've been an animal lover my entire life because I was eating them up until like, you know, eight or seven or eight years ago, but, uh, obsessive, obsessive about dogs, certainly. And something that, uh, bonded my now husband and co-founder and I, when we were first dating, even we're both totally obsessed with dogs. The first thing we did when we moved to California after college was go right to the SPCA, adopt our dog, Leo, who we still have. Um, he's 11 now. Um, so I've always been a dog person. I always wanted to start a company. Um, when I moved to San Francisco right after college, the, the booming jobs were all in tech. 
And that's kind of where I positioned myself. But interestingly, uh, my husband, Garrett, he worked for another tech company after doing some management consulting and they were acquired by Mars Pet Care. And Mars Pet Care um, is the biggest, um, It's most people know them as the candy bar company. Um, they make all kinds of chocolate bars and uh, candy products and a ho- whole host of other things, but they're the biggest dog food manufacturer for the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was working on the tech side. He was working on a project that was studying um, trying to work with veterinary clinics to stitch together like a holistic view of dog health. So if you're monitoring their activity, um, you're taking to the vet regularly, maybe you can kind of predict when a dog might be slowing down or drinking more water, or kind of putting, stitching together some data with some clinical information. And through that job, he was exposed to the pet food industry. It was this kind of strange experience that we were kind of happening around the same time where, um, you know, I had read Peter Singer's book in college and it uh, eating animals. Um, and it deeply affected me or animal liberation. I'm sorry, I'm mixing up titles. Um, both are good books, but animal liberation. And it deeply affected me. I was rereading it. We were cutting out meat and two things were happening totally separately, but parallel where he was working in the pet food industry. Suddenly was getting exposure to veterinarians and other folks who were describing how they test foods, how they, um, the animal proteins that they're sourcing and, everyone kind of feeling not great about it or having, you know, this really interesting um, kind of hidden economy of how proteins get into pet food um, and kind of all the externalities that come with that. And at the same time and not related, we were radically changing what we were eating. It was bothering us for environmental reasons, ethical reasons. um, And I had cut out meat. We'd both cut it out as a new year's resolution and it just stuck. Um, we went totally vegan at that stage. And, you know, the kind of, I had this cognitive dissonance. I was still going to the pet store and buying a big bag of dog food. And I, two things really struck me about the pet food aisle. Um, as a marketer, I felt like they were all talking to like a, a customer that I didn't identify with. It was very like boy scouty, mm. like a husky catching a salmon in a stream. And I'm, I've never had a dog that does that. And <laughs> I'm not particularly compelled by this, like, you know, uh, call of the wilds marketing. It just seemed really odd. And if you look around the pets, pet food aisle, it's predominantly women buying pet food. They're the main buyer of it. And it was very masculine or there was something odd about it. It was very also meat centric. All of the marketing was about the protein, the first ingredient. Um, and I had a dog that, you know, would fight me to eat a kale stock that I'm about to put in the compost bin or, you know, favorite food was peanut butter. So it just, it felt odd. It felt a little lazy. So that was kind of like my marketing view of it, of like, this is kind of weird um, and kind of dated. Uh, And then on the other hand, it felt like, you know, for someone who had made it this dramatic um, personal choice, like I really don't want these, I don't want to eat eating these products. We're getting really good at cooking vegan food that we love. We live in a city where this is easy to do this. Why am I buying like 40 pounds of this horrible product, putting aside the health, health issues with a processed food um, or processed meat-based food, but it just felt really strange. It was just totally out of step with our other beliefs. And now that Garrett, my husband and co-founder had been working at Mars for some time, he knew it was totally possible to feed them a diet that did not contain these animal proteins. And that the more people you spoke with, and especially the more advanced they were in their education around nutrition, so especially folks who are not on the clinical side, 
they were like, oh yeah, it's totally possible. It's hard to market. Uh, you know, so it was, it was more of a business. It was more of a, a commercial right. problem than a scientific problem. Um, wow. So we switched over to the, the, you know, the various vegan formulations that were already on the market. Um, and I felt like there was an opportunity. Um, both of us saw an opportunity where you didn't have to necessarily sacrifice so much on the quality side. Not that those products aren't great. I'm so grateful that they existed and continue to exist, but it felt like if, you know, if all things equal, if I were creating this for my, my dog, um, and I wasn't in a position at that stage from a, a bandwidth to be home cooking and didn't feel like I had enough expertise to be home cooking, I would have done things differently or I would choose different ingredients. Right. You know, so I think that was kind of what led us there. I think we both had a motivation to want to start a business that would do good and would had a real reason to exist beyond selling something. And right. I never in a million years would have expected, you know, a decade ago that it would have been vegan dog food, but <laughs> Here, here we are. That is such, you know, you're my tribe. And I think you're the tribe of so many people out there who are listening. I mean, there's so many things that you said that I basically say and think every day that reflect um, my own journey. And I think that probably you're reflecting the journey of so many people that are watching and listening today. It's, it's amazing that, you know, it was all coming together at the same time for you. And something so similar occurred with me. You know, I had this business that I loved formulating diets for dogs. Then I became vegan. And even when I was vegetarian, I was formulating meat-based diets because I was buying into all these myths about, you know, dogs needing to eat meat and the whole call of the wild and they're carnivores. All right. And, rah, you know, right. And then I just realized I, it was, I couldn't do that anymore. Right. No more cognitive dissonance. I have to live my values and right. did the research, just like you're saying you did the research and it really was, it's like, yeah, not only is it possible, but guess what? How healthy is all that polluted and totally. toxic meat? Right. So we're doing very, very similar things, you know, in, in the same vegan space, but you're addressing the needs on the commercial basis and I'm addressing the needs on the home cooked basis. And even for people who feed home cooked, they need, you know, it, you have to have viable commercial alternatives out there that are healthy and that you feel good about giving. Um, and not everybody wants to, or can you know, cook for their dogs. And even if you do, you go on trips or you're traveling with your dog and you need to have these options. So I'm so glad that you're doing what you're doing. Um, so let me ask, you know, how's it been going since you launched? I mean, are you seeing, are, are you happy with the consumer interest you're seeing in the product? Yeah. I mean, it's been so interesting. I think I had a lot of assumptions going into it that when we launched that this is a product that will be mostly purchased by vegans or vegetarians, people who've already kind of, you know, they're the, they're the people who have gone home for Thanksgiving a dozen times and explained that they're not going to perish from lack of protein. You know, the people who've already done the, <laughs> done the basic research and they understand that this is, this is a choice that can work for so many dogs. And I've been just totally surprised by how many people are not eating existing plant-based diets, that this is the first time they've ever fed one. I think it's been really interesting that we have so many omnivorous um, human customers, um, who just right. are cutting back in some capacity, they're cutting back on their own households, consumption of meat and dog food for a lot of people is an easier path to get there. And then we also have people who are just 
frankly grossed out by the meat that's yeah. in pet food and they want something that is air quote clean. And they're looking for, right. and maybe they, maybe they end up buying something that they think is really high quality animal protein. They're still putting a little on top or, you know, whatever pixie dust they, they think might help, <laughs> uh, help their animal or help, help them. Um, but it's just been really surprising kind of the diversity of approaches that people have both personally and for their dog that they're coming to the table with. But I think the core is that people are skeptical of kibble. Um, and when I say kibble, I mean, you know, typical yeah. commercial packaged, um, extruded meat-based products. I think they're skeptical of it or they don't feel like they've been well-served by it and they want something else. And so I think it's, it's just been interesting to see how many people, like where people are that they find themselves um, to a product like Petaluma's. And it's, it's honestly, it's more gratifying for me to see those folks um, see themselves buying a product like ours. I think it shows the market's a lot bigger than just the relatively right. small group of Americans who don't eat meat. Yeah, no, you know, remember that study? What was it from a couple of years ago that something like, you know, about 33% of dog guardians would feed a commercial diet if they were convinced that it was healthy. And, right. you know, that's what we're doing. We're showing that it is, we're providing options for them. You know, there was someone quite famous um, a few months ago who did kind of a breakdown on why you shouldn't feed, uh, you know, plant-based uh, commercial, you know, like you call it kibble and, and what have you. And as I'm reading this, I'm thinking, oh my goodness, you know, it might not be perfect. Um, some of the points that they were referring to in these particular products, which I want to say was not, was not Petaluma, but um, by any stretch, but even with what they were referring to, let's compare that to the meat-based products and the meat-based kibbles and what are in those, the toxins, the bioaccumulated toxins, the rendered products, the restaurant grease, the, you know, carcinogenic ingredients. Mm -hmm. That wasn't addressed on the other side, right? You know? Right. Um, so it's very interesting because a lot of even vegans, um, and I don't know if you've experienced this, but you can see it in the Facebook groups. Even a lot oh, yeah. of vegans are, are following that information and buying into, if you will, you know, well, they're vegan, but their dog still needs meat. And it's such an educational process. And I'm so happy that you're also out there doing that. I mean, what, you know, what do you say to, to vegans who, who are still buying into the misinformation because it's out there in the Facebook groups all the time? Yeah, I, I mean, I usually come at it with a wall of empathy because I think that it's really hard to, to get to a meat-free dog food in general after like over a half century of really aggressive marketing right. that your dog is right. for. So I have, I have a lot <laughs> yeah. of empathy of just like kind of this like knee-jerk reaction. I think it's, I think it's really normal if you haven't done your homework to just be like, this is weird because you've been fed information for so long. You've seen so many TV ads um, right. telling you that your dog needs chicken or your dog loves this, your dog loves that. Right. And most people know their, they know their dog better than anyone. They know what their dog goes nuts for. And it's probably meat and cheese, but it's also probably carrots and peanut butter and celery and, you know, whatever else that they, they know that their dog has a diversity of taste preferences. 
Um, right. Oh, did I lose you? I think I cut out for a second. Hopefully you'll hear me. Hold on. Yeah, you froze. So we're going to have to cut it at that <laughs> stage. Oh, okay. I think. All right. All right so let's just pause a second. Yeah. And maybe, maybe after a couple of seconds, start by saying, um, what did you like, but you could, you could say something like, but it's also peanut butter and, and so, like how you said that. So we could go into, you know, um, right. yeah. So let's just, just take a pause. This is one, two, three. But it's also peanut butter, it's carrots, celery, it's all these other ingredients in your kitchen that you know your dog loves. And I think that usually right. that's how I approach it with people that I think a lot of when people think of a meat-free dog food, it's exactly that, right? It's the absence of something. And I'm trying to be uh in our marketing, I'm trying to be more forward about the plants themselves. These are flavors and tastes and nutrients that your dog needs or is getting it. It's on the ingredient label, typically they're already feeding. Um, and there are so many functional benefits, so many nutritional benefits to having those plants um, that it's not just the absence of a protein, right? It's the inclusion of all of these others that um, your dog probably likes um, and is probably less likely to have all these other externalities, all these other problems. So I, tr I try, it can be frustrating sometimes when you have people who are just kind of resisting um, and don't want to learn more, but it's for the most part, I've found that I think a lot of people feel like they don't want, they, they want to learn more, um, but they are having this reaction of skepticism. And I think starting with um, a degree of empathy around, you know, it makes total sense like that you would feel this way. It makes total sense. Um, that you would have questions about this or that you'd want to understand the distinction maybe between, you know, knowing that dogs can digest carbohydrates and have been able to out of genetic adaptations that distinguish them from wolves. And that, you know, it's, it's not, it's not as straightforward as saying like a wolf, you know, just entered human civilization and we should continue <laughs> to feed them that way. So I think for a lot of people, once they kind of like the, the backstory of how dogs have evolved is to me so much more interesting than like the tropes. So I've found that that will really hold people's attention in a way um, that can be more compelling than just like a wolf that wandered into your house and is now part of your life. Like so many interesting things happen right. for them to adapt, to live with us. And those adaptations are incredible, but that both of us can now digest grains and um, the rest is, the rest is history. So I found that a lot of people feel like the dog food industry has gotten away with producing products that have made dogs have probably increased rates of cancer, all these other things that are happening mm. that you know to be true, or that you know, you know that the, the diet of your dog matters for their health and well-being. You know all these things, and you maybe feel like there's a disconnect between the products that have historically been made for those animals and what you're currently um, hoping to feed them or what you this dog is, um, you know, not in a dog house in your backyard. They're probably on your couch. Like they're a family member. You're thinking about their nutrition as if they were a member of your house household. Um, and I think that disconnect bothers people. And I found that they feel more receptive to learning or understanding, you know, you can get all these amino acids just fine in this product. You're feeding them the same thing every day. You don't need to worry about deficiencies here. Um, I found that they become more receptive to that when you're coming from a place of, yeah, like this industry is kind of designed for you to not appreciate that distinction. Um, yeah, has, has tended to work a little bit better if if you can get someone to to listen. I think to listen. Um, I think yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. I mean, 
the immense marketing dollars that go into it. Mm -hmm. Like you said, you know, and you see the the wolf jumping out of your TV screen and then turning into your dog. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's all designed, you know, more meat, more meat, more meat. And like you said, it's really over the last several decades, which is why, and like, and like you said, you know, it's so interesting to learn about how they evolved, which is why I spent a great deal of time on that in the book, because I wanted people to understand that there is science behind this. Yeah. You know, we're not just, yeah, we feel for the, uh, for all the animals that we're saving by not ruining and, and tormenting in their lives and ultimately, unfortunately, murdering them for pet food, but there's science behind it. You know, you can feel good that it's actually healthier for your dog. Right. Um, right. And they've, you know, genetically adapted over tens of thousands of years. And I always find it so interesting. I don't know if, you know, the irony that they, like you said, they're on your couch and, you know, sleeping in your bed and they're riding in your car and the same people who do all of those things with their dogs are going, no, my dog's a wolf, you know, totally. <laughs> and I have gotten irreverent at times and said, well, you know, then then you shouldn't be forcing your dog to live in your house. You should be letting them go and hunt with their brethren. Right. And how's, how, let's see how that's going to work out for, for them, you know? So all these behavioral adaptations are so easy for people to embrace, but there's still the, because there's not the marketing against that, but there's still the marketing against the nutritional side. And, you know, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but Let's face it, the, the mass market meat-based pet food industry and the animal agricultural industry aren't too far apart in there. And they're, they're often, um, this was me, a, a novice to the pet food industry coming into it. Um, it probably surprises zero people who've been in the pet food industry for any length of time, but the slaughterhouse is right next to the pet food manufacturing facility. Yeah. They're usually mm. like, you know, <laughs> a half mile. Yeah. yeah. So there's a reason they, they benefit off of each other. They have, you know, it's a... And it's, an, I think we're at a really interesting inflection point for pet food because they seem to be, it seems like a lot of people are now kind of like where maybe they had hid or tried to not talk about byproducts or rendering products, or um, right. they've tried to maybe avoid, avoid using that language to describe where their protein came from, because it obviously is gross. Um, we're now seeing people yeah. who are uh, engaging in a little bit of greenwashing saying, oh, the pet food industry has actually always been sustainable. It's, you know, it's taking right. this over <laughs> stuff that nobody wanted and turning it into product. And I think that, that that could be true in some capacity, but it's not where the growth of the industry is. The growth is in fresh and frozen uh, meat-based dog foods. It's in farmer's dog. It's in these brands that are using human competitive meat. It's a different um, right. stream of products. It's not the, you know, it it is in some cases in many pet food products, these horrible um, dead, dying, and diseased animals, but that's not where that's not where the dollars are moving to, towards. So I think it'll be an interesting time for that the industry to kind of reckon with its yeah. sustainability aspects as well as its obvious human well, animal and human welfare problems. Right. It's interesting. You know, on one hand, what they say they're sustainable because they're taking the worst of the worst refuse that you can't feed a person and putting it into the dog food. So that's sustainable which has so many other problems um, or they're fresh and human grade and all that. And, and, and where's the sustainability there? And, and, you know, guess what, even if you are saying all of that, you know, um, 
bioaccumulated toxins up the food chain into food animals that that human omnivores eat. So you're not saving your dog from those things by feeding those fresh food meat based diets. Um, you know, so you know either way. So I mean, I guess given all of this, what do you think? Because let's face it, you know, in the scheme of the whole pet food industry, the vegan you know, foods are still, these are our newcomers. What do they have to do? Like, what do you, first of all, like, I guess I should ask, where do you see the industry kind of in five years? And what do you think the vegan dog food industry players have to do in order to become more viable competitors to Mm -hmm. the traditional meat-based diets? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I think like in some ways I would have expected I think it would have been, it would have been hard for me if I'd been in the industry when grain-free diets came around, like that they became very popular. Um, You know, I think that there certainly can be complete and balanced grain-free formulas if they're done well. Um, But it wasn't out of a bunch of studies saying that grain-free diets were healthier. It boomed in popularity, I think, um, alongside human trends away from carbohydrates and a paleo diet and things that were happening. And pet food is kind of a delayed reaction to the human nutrition world, right? So like, I think that that was like an interesting trend to observe as someone on the sidelines of like, why is this becoming so popular? Is it because humans are eating, have a perception that um, carbohydrates should be reduced and then it's spilling over into pet food? Why is this happening? It's kind of odd. And it's not really rooted in like a groundbreaking study that said that grain-free diets, the way to feed your dog. And then everyone kind of changes right. gears and the pet food customer can be fickle that way that they can change course, um, through marketing. Not that that is uh, a reason to be aggressive in marketing, but that was kind of interesting to me to observe. And I do think that the delayed reaction from human to pet is now we're seeing more interest in these meat-free diets. I think in part because people are making dietary shifts and we're starting to see that come into the fore more in the pet food space where they now understand, and maybe they didn't 10 years ago, that their blood work improves when they cut out processed foods and you know they're lowering their salt intake and they're cutting back and all these other things as kind of nice side effects of cutting out animal-based products uh, or they're ethically motivated to cut them out. So I think in part, um, products like Petaluma will benefit from that delayed reaction into the pet food space that there are just now more people who are conversant in meat-free eating as humans. Um, and there's a lag between those two things. Um, so that's, that's one thing that I'm just optimistic about that just, it's less, it's becoming less and less weird as a human living in the world, not eating animals. (laughs) There's fewer eyebrows raised. Um, fewer people want to debate me every time we're at a restaurant, um, which is nice. Uh, and then I think the other thing that I'm trying to work through all the time, and I talk to people who are smarter than me about this all the time, and um, I'm always kind of shifting my thoughts around it. I think the word vegan can help and hurt um, just yeah. because I think it's a philosophy. Um, and I think that that can be challenging for people who may be concerned that a philosophy is driving a formulation of a product rather than science. And I think it's a really careful threading of the needle to balance those two things to kind of show your values and prove the science. Um, and I think that those two things have to be kind of managed well for more people who are going to come to the table with increased skepticism about a product and how yeah. it was formulated. So we've tried to balance that by being as transparent as we possibly can be about every aspect of the product. 
Um, and it's a degree of transparency that I don't think anyone in the animal-based world in pet food would ever even want to do. It's, it doesn't help you sometimes to be, no. <laughs> you're, inviting, <laughs> you're inviting lots of questions. Um, so I think that that's, that's going to be a, a real opportunity for the plant-based diets to, to show their work, to show it out, to do more of these studies that are coming out all the time, which is fabulous. Um, but to continue to be like rigorous in the scientific side of things, because I think, you know, as you know, deeply clinical veterinarians have very little nutritional education. And if they did have it, it was a long time ago. And it was about all kinds of animals. <laughs> it wasn't just right. dogs. Right. Um, and, you know, when I've talked to veterinary students who are coming out of um, school more recently, they're get, they have a more updated set of skills. They have a slightly more open opinion about things. They are living in today's society. They, they are more exposed to these types of nutritional preferences and diets. But I think that potentially decoupling the word vegan from formulations that don't include meat can be helpful potentially to move the needle towards a more mainstream um, appeal. Just if, if we can show with science and win with values, I think that might be a better a approach to kind of grab more of that market um, in the next few years. Yeah, hundred percent. You know, I struggle with that myself and I, I'm called plant powered, obviously in the book mm -hmm. is plant powered because, you know, veganism is an ethical, by definition, veganism right. is an ethical choice by the, the organizations that made up that, you know, that first word. Um, and of course our dogs aren't making an ethical choice just as children right. don't make their own ethical choices. Um, so I've always gone with plant-based for that reason. And then I started adding vegan in more because quite honestly, if you look at how the public often talks about it, it's with the word vegan. So if you, you know, it's, it's right. like a balancing act of not wanting to stigmatize the food, if you will, um, by thinking right. that we're putting that philosophy on it, but also wanting to have people understand that it is because plant-based, you know, plant-based, when someone says I'm plant-based, that doesn't mean that they're a hundred percent not eating animal products. So you get right. that issue, right? It's like, it doesn't mean they're vegan um, or free of animal products. Right. So yeah. So I've struggled with that too. Um, but a hundred percent too about the science and, you know, let's face it, you know, studies take money. And who has the most money at this point are the, you know, traditional mass market meat-based pet foods. I'll get all the time, you know, well, what's the science, you know, has, have there been, you know, long-term studies and to show that, you know, plant-based or vegan commercial foods are just as good as the meat-based. And it's, you know, it's interesting. I've actually answered that you know, with, first of all, you know, a serious answer with the studies that are now coming up by wonderful people like, you know, Andrew Knight, Professor Andrew Knight at the mm -hmm. University of Winchester and other studies that have been done that all, not surprisingly, show the health benefits. Um, but if you carefully listen to the phrasing of a question, such as, have long-term studies been done to show that plant-fed dogs or vegan dogs live longer? The very premise of the question is biased towards meat-based because right. what studies have been done to show that meat-based dogs live longer? 
none because the two would go together, right? So totally. it's kind of, you know, in our judicial system, we have an innocent until proven guilty um, premise. But in the pet food industry, we have a guilty until proven innocent premise about plants. And that's, I believe, totally due to marketing. Yeah. Correct absolutely. me if I'm wrong, Caroline, have any studies ever showed that dogs who eat a commercial meat-based diet would live longer that, than dogs who eat a commercial vegan or plant-based diet. Right. You're going to, you're no. going to fund the study that tells you the answer you want to hear. Right. Like, and well, I think, that's it too. Right. And I think that's, it's interesting too, um, like that the, the need to prove the negative, like, you know, prove that this is not going to, to fail type of thing to harm them or yeah. Yeah. And, when I've had like, you know, more, more casual conversations at like a dinner party or something, you'd be like, well, how do you, you know, like the last something along, hinting along the lines of like, is there a long-term study to show this? And it's like, well, right. do you know what that study would look like? They would have to like see right. which dogs die. They would have to get right. like three dogs and <laughs> feed one group a deficient diet and see how long it they suffer and then perish. Like it's a horrible, it's a horrible study to conceive of. I don't think you would learn that much from it. There's plenty of evidence from the 20, 30, 40 years that some of these diets have existed and that we would know patterns by now if they were massively deficient. There's all kinds of studies you can run. So I, I think to, I totally agree to your point. Like, I think that people are kind of telling on themselves when they ask questions like that. There's no long-term study showing that feeding your dog a conventional meat-based kibble diet is going to reduce risk of almost anything. It, you know, they no. might be able to, they might be just fine. Um, there, they may not be, have any, uh, ill effects from it, but I think most people would know that there's a link between nutrition and health and there's generally a link between nutrition and longevity. Um, so yeah, it's, it's too bad, but I think folks like Dr. Knight and others who are putting out these bigger studies, Dr. Pitcairn, who I absolutely love. And, and it is, it's, it's really the marketing for the meat-based pet food industry has worked beautifully. And I, I, applaud, and I say this a bit sarcastically, the person who created the term species appropriate diet, right? Oh, because, gosh. yeah, right. Does Who amongst us plant-based folks does, do, does not cringe at that? Because first of all, you know, as you know, as I was saying before, our, you know, and you were saying, and we're, we're talking about behaviorally, our modern companion dogs are not wolves, right? They are domesticated totally. dogs. So a species appropriate diet must be a diet that is appropriate to who they are today, not a wolf living in the wild, which right. they haven't been for tens of thousands of years, right? Which is why evolution, like you talked about, it's not a trope, you know, evolution is so important to understand um, how this has come about over tens of thousands of years. Um, right. You know, so Yes, people are are more aware of what's happening in the animal agriculture industry and, you know, environmentally, what it takes to raise uh, food animals. So I'm confident that what our message is, is that it's the future, right? So let's, let's go with that, because I truly believe that, that it has to be that way. We can't sustain it any other way. Um, so more and more people will buy, you know, plant-based vegan dog food, however you want to term it. What, why Petaluma? Like, what did you guys do to make it different from other products that are on the market right now? 
Yeah, we we spent years coming up with the formula and testing it and trying it, baking it at home for a long time, trying to, wow. to get it right. And talking to a lot of people, veterinary nutritionists, um, people in the industry. And I think for us, like I wanted something that was not kibble. Um, I wanted something that's, I didn't need to add, you know, when they, for, I'm sure most of your listeners know, but when they make kibble, it's pressure cooked. And then it's usually sprayed with fat and flavor at the end. So it has a taste, but that it's, it's a very processed food. And I think, um, there's nothing intrinsically wrong with processing, but you know, the way that you prepare plant proteins matters for health benefits and digestibility, all these other nice benefits, um, you can preserve more nutritional value if you cook it at a lower temperature. Um, so we wanted to do something that was not, not kibble and something that was not as logistically challenging as a fresh food. So I think we were trying to figure out what is the medium between those two things? What is a food that will, we don't need to add flavors and, you know, we don't need to pump it with palatins. It can be a food that the dogs can taste the ingredients in, um, and preserve some of that nutrition, but without going as far as a fresh delivery food, I think that seems like a, frankly, a harder business <laughs> seemed like logistically right, sure. challenging. and then yeah. also has some sustainability challenges in terms of, you know, you're, you're paying for the water that's in that food and it needs to be shipped in dry ice or it needs to be refrigerated to get to you. And absolutely. Um, so for all those reasons, it seemed harder. So we landed on baking a food. Baking has become more popular in the last few years as an alternative to kibble. Um, it's still relatively um, new. We originally, when we were making our food, we were, we were running the food on a, in a pet food bakery that only made treats. Um, so they're only, they're very, very small number of facilities that even have these like long conveyor ovens, um, that are suitable to making a baked food. Uh, it's, it's still kind of a novelty in the space. Um, and we knew that we wanted the protein source to be something that we, you knew that your dog already liked. So one of our main protein sources is peanut butter, um, peanut butter is not used in dog food, really. Um, there's, it's not really used as a flavor. It's expensive to buy human grade, um, uh, peanut butter unsurprisingly. Um, and so I think we wanted it to be focused on the plants themselves. We wanted the flavor profile to be about plants. I think, um, and this is a, a difference of opinion. And I think there's lots of approaches for it, but I think a lot of the plant-based for the alternative diets will kind of lean on meat flavors. They'll say like, you know, um, something casserole or it'll have like a, you know, it'll have like a hint yeah. at it. We wanted to try to focus on the actual ingredients themselves coming through in the product. A really nice part about baking is because it's made like the way you would make cookies. It's all of the ingredients go into a dough. You can kind of see in the individual pieces like carrots and parsley and, um, Very you can cool. identify what it's made of. Yeah. So I think that I was, my hope for Petaluma was that it would kind of be an alternative to something like a farmer's dog where you feel like you're getting better ingredients or you you can see when you open it, like, oh, that's, you know, a piece of carrot, or I can identify that this is not kibble right. without, without any of the, the animal proteins or um, the environmental consequences of being a fresh food, that there is that customer who's like, uh, I don't really want to feed something so processed as kibble. Um, or I'm not comfortable with the, the way that kibble is produced, um, but I'm not quite in a position to give up my fridge space, or I'm not quite ready right. to dedicate the, the expense of a fresh product. So I think we're, we're designing for that person who finds himself in that middle space, um, who wants something that's premium or product is 
over 50% organic, which is a whole separate, <laughs> whole separate conversation. Which was my next question. So yeah. I might as well go into it, which is, yeah. I love that it contains organic ingredients. So why not a hundred percent organic? Yeah, it's such a good question. Um, so organic is interesting. Um, currently there are certain, um, amino acid supplementation that we do in dog food, like adding L-carnitine and taurine. And um, that's not approved by USDA organic for dog food. It is approved for cat food. Interestingly, it's not approved for dog right. food. So just out of the gates, if you're supplementing the food properly, it will not meet the standards. Um, so that's, that's like a very tactical part of it, but it's extremely expensive to buy organic ingredients at a scale to put them in a pet food. I'm sure as people know, some things are nominally more expensive. Some things are astronomically more expensive, depending on what you're buying. Um, and there just hasn't been as much demand for the ingredient suppliers to prioritize organic ingredients. And also you're like, we find this a lot with our, we have a treat product. That's just a dehydrated sweet potato. That's a product that is competitive with baby food. Like the only other real buyer of organic sweet potatoes is baby food. Um, and it's a market that gets kind of gobbled up by, you know, it's, the organic market is very competitive because it's it's a very small percentage of what's grown in the U.S. Um, and big so purchasers like for the baby food products, yeah. Exactly. So interesting. Yeah, yeah, it's very interesting. Um, so organic is something that I think for for me initially was a proxy for better standards, a, a proxy for um, potentially better treatment of farm workers. They're exposed to less pesticides. There's a little bit more scrutiny in terms of how often that farm being inspected and the standards of care. It's not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but it's a bit more oversight and you get more information about where exactly your food comes from. But I think it, for for me, organic is like a story about practicalities. Like it's, it's currently not possible really to formulate a 100% organic dog food if you're not using meat because you need to add in some additional amino acid supplementation, I think. Um, and it really becomes challenging for most folks to purchase it if you get to like 75, 80% organic. There are some pet food products that will call right. themselves organic and will highlight organic ingredients. Um, and they have very, very tiny inclusion amounts of organic ingredients uh, because it is kind of the wild west. If you don't have the certification, uh, you have to really rely on the company to share that information with you. Um, but it's something I'm optimistic about as that becomes more competitive, as more crops are grown organically, uh, that's something we can include at a higher rate. And it's true. There's no USDA organic certification for pet food. So you're sort of relying on the company to tell you the truth. And even with, you know, and, and to your point about cost and things like that, even with the fresh food diets, it scares a lot of people. And yes. I say, you know, you can, I often go by the environmental working group and their lovely, you know, dirty dozen mm -hmm. list and, and avoiding those, you know, those foods that are tested to be most highly contaminated and, and sprayed. So a lot of times there are certain ingredients where, you know, there's little benefit to having it be organic um, or not, you know, not necessary, if you will, from a pesticide perspective. Right. Um, like we use and a very about, small amount of uh, marine microalgae as an omega-3. Yeah. Um, it is organic because there's no pesticides being applied on the ocean. Right. So it's kind of like a funny thing. Like, you know, it's, right. it's, it's relevant in some places and it's not in others where um, depending on how it's grown, where it's grown, it may not even matter. 
Um, in some cases, it really matters because the the gulf between the two products is huge, or you know how they're the standards. Right. Of this is a product typically put into feed feed um, feed animal um, food products, so it's really low quality, and you really want to make sure you're getting a better version of it. So, it's a story of trade offs, like all ingredient selection things. But I think how important it is, like I think for a sweet potato um, jerky where your dog is literally chewing on the skin of the sweet potato and it's the whole ingredient being sliced. It, that felt really important to have be organically grown. Um, but yeah, it's tricky. It's tricky and it, it requires, I think, um, a digging a bit deeper to understand like which ones should I really care about or which ones might be like peanut butter is a, is a great one. Like if you're using a really low cost peanut butter, you might have a lot of low cost peanut butters have additives in them. They have sugar, they have salt, they have all these other things in them. They may not have the standards that you would want for your own household, let alone for your dog. So I think it's picking and choosing which ingredients and how they're prepared and um, how the literal crop is grown, I think um, matters quite a bit. So let's switch over to something that you and I see a lot and that we've talked about. And I think you know, it's worth addressing here because not everyone in your position addresses addresses it, I think, as transparently and honestly and with the consumer's best interest in mind as you do. Um, and I really applaud that. And that's that we both read a lot on social media about people who feed adult commercial diets and Petaluma is an adult formulation yep. and they will feed that to their growing puppy and in many times, even a large breed growing puppy. So let's clear the air here on who Petaluma is geared for. And is that okay? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's such a touchy subject. Uh, and I know you and I have talked about this quite a bit, but I really struggle with it because I'm trying to, I want to arm someone with their options and there aren't very many options commercially um, right. that I would there are none that I would recommend that are plant-based that are off the shelf. And it's really challenging because you don't want to tell someone um, to feed an animal. Feed based diet. Yeah. It's tough. Um, so usually what I, what I tell people is that this is not a product for puppies. It is deficient in some capacities for a growth stage dog. And depending on the size of your dog, like you mentioned, large breed, they might grow too quickly on this type of diet, or they may if right. you get something wrong. You could be really, putting your dog on the wrong course to have problems later on. Um, and the supplementing, which I know um, we've also discussed of you taking an adult formula and adjusting it in a DIY way to fit a puppy, I think is really hard. I think some, there might be a certain type of customer who's comfortable doing that if they are measuring things really perfectly and they're really making sure that they get everything dialed in. But I think the reality is it's hard to do that in a way that's consistent. I think the industry, that's one of the things that we'll be looking for in the industry is to catch up, you know, yeah. with the mainstream industry, with these, with some good puppy food formulations. Gosh, I wish, you know, I used to formulate foods for puppies and actually I stopped doing it a couple of years ago because even from um, my standpoint, it's such a more complex formulation. Yeah. Um, and what it, I would, I would track the puppy during like key growth stages and then adjust it. And then it was a real pain for the client to make the formula. There were a lot of supplements in it. Absolutely. So I think we're, we're at that growing pain stage here 
where that's one of the key things I know I'll be super appreciative of when I can actually have more options to recommend for people, um, you know, regarding plant-based puppy foods. So, but yeah, you bring, you know, to try and do it yourself, you would need, you know, I use when I formulate, and of course your formulas, you know, you're using scientific formulation programs. Um, And especially when you're talking about a large breed puppy, you can really have lifelong uh, adverse effects. So I hope, you know, people just understand what an adult food is. Um, but we're going to look to you guys, I hope to bring out a puppy <laughs> is, is this on, let me ask, is there a puppy food on in the near, in the foreseeable future or something we might hope for? You know, the problem that we've had that we've run into is that there are just certain ingredients that you need in a meat free formulation that are not yet approved for use in puppies. And I think it, it can happen soon. Um, or, you know, maybe someone will be comfortable taking that step and formulating it, um, with puppies in mind and maybe not getting full AFCO approval or, um, right. yeah, I think there's some hurdles there around specific, um, add ingredients like marine microalgae is one. Um, so I think, I think it'll be interesting. I think it's very possible. I'm very bullish on meat-free puppy food. I think it can be done. No problem. It's just a regulatory thing at this stage and, and getting, getting kind of the testing to a spot where people can feel good about it. Um, so I, I would love to formulate one. I think if I had a puppy, I would be really tossing my hands up because I, I I know how to formulate a dog food and I would feel a little uneasy doing it. Um, so it's a good reason to adopt one of the many older dogs in the shelter. If you're yeah, <laughs> right. Okay. Exactly. And, yep. And I think, I think a mistake that some people that you and I have both seen people make in, in some of these groups where they're talking about puppies is that, you know, if someone's marketing an all life stage diet, that it means that it's safe for puppies. And I, I just, I think if you're someone who just got a puppy and you don't want to feed them a meat-based diet and you're considering an all-life stage diet, I would ask that manufacturer to give you a breakdown of all of the ingredients, um, to give you a full panel of, you know, understand the micro and macro and micronutrients that are in there. Where's the source of DHA coming from? Because there's not one that I'm aware of that's approved for puppies. It's vegan. Um, so I think getting some transparency, maybe that is a viable solution, but I don't see any data to that convinces me that there's something on the market right now that works for puppies or that I'd feel comfortable feeding to a puppy. And it's tough because even in all life stage food, a a large breed puppy should not be fed in all life stage food, at least, yeah, like for at least the first, say six months of their life too, because, you know, I think people have to understand that for the first few months of life, and it's interesting, maybe a baby is this way too, I'm actually not sure, but a puppy does not regulate their calcium um, uptake mm. into the bones. Right. And that's where the whole problem occurs. You know, after that, the calcium we eat doesn't directly go like right into our bones. Right. We have hormones and they control that. So I assume it's the same in the human world with, with babies. I don't know what age that would occur at that we're able to do that. But of course, for the first several months, puppies can't do that. So the calcium you're taking in in the diet is what's being absorbed and hence that can cause a lot of developmental orthopedic problems. So I'm not sure if people really understand the consequences and why that occurs. Um, And and especially with large breed dogs. Um, So this has all been 
Amazing. I mean, I have to say one of the things that I, I just love is your dedication to transparency, um, you know, the social consciousness of how you run the business. You know, so many, unfortunately, dog food companies do their testing on dogs, right? And it's it's all wrapped into wanting it to be a better world for everybody. So, you know, you're, you're encompassing all of that, I think, with your um, with your approach, which is like awesome. Um, so like kind of, I guess, finally, I would just ask, so someone wants to, you know, switch, of course we want, you know, you, you want Petaluma, <laughs> but what, what if for some reason they're, they're in another country, you know, we get people from all over. Um, what recommendation would you give to people who are looking to find the right vegan or vegan slash plant-based food for their dog? Thank you. Um, you know, I have always had the fortune of having extremely non-picky dogs. So, you know, they're horrible taste testers for any product we're working on because they <laughs> will inhale anything I put in front of them. Um, I know that many other people have very selective dogs Yeah, and it can be a process to kind of figure <laughs> sure. out like what, you know, like what they, and it's been interesting to me that I've have so much empathy now for people who have picky eaters, but we'll just, they'll just, they'll send me a list of like, you know, the 20 things that they've tried <laughs> or, you know, they've yeah. tried a little this, a little that, a little this, and I'm recommending things to them. They've already tried. Have you tried putting water on your food? Have you tried doing X, Y, Z things? Um, so I, I would recommend for people who are curious about it to just sample a few things, sample, sample plants also, like there are so many different, um, plants in the plant kingdom that your dog can be fed that are great for them and see what flavors they like, see, you know, get a sense for like, you know, do you have a dog who is just, um, and like what you want to address with diet. Right. So like starting from right. a place of like, I have an adult dog who could stand to lose a little bit of weight. Um, and I want to right. address that through some increased exercise and also maybe, um, ensuring that I'm feeding, um, the right number of calories to achieve that goal. Or I have a dog who's aging, and I want to make sure that I have some functional benefits, maybe for cognition and mobility. Um, so I think understanding what you wish to address with diet, maybe it's just keeping them around as long as possible and they're healthy and you want to continue them on that path. And then finding a way to feed your dog that they enjoy and that they can stay on for a longer period of time. And I know I'm sure you, you grapple with this too with people, how, how involved do you want to be in meal time? is a consideration as well. If you're someone who really enjoys pre preparing food for them and understanding, um, you know, maybe they like things cooked or they like things in a more of a liquid fashion. Um, so I think it's been, it's a bit of trial and error of seeing what your dog likes and then understanding as the caretaker of that animal, um, what am I trying to do with this diet? You know, like what, do, what should I be looking for? Do I, do I need a smaller kibble size? Do I need, um, you know, something that I can, I can soften easily or do I want to do this myself because this is how I'm showing this animal love and care. And I want to, you know, find right. the combination of things that they really enjoy. So I think people are, people are really all across the spectrum there. Um, and I think I like to, I like to suggest to people to just think about the, like, what do they need this food to do for them? And then kind of like work backwards. And frankly, it can be a cost consideration too, like cost convenience, um, benefits. Um, so people bring a lot to the consideration. Yeah. And, you know, I give some tips for that. Of course the, my book is, it focuses on home prepared, but I give some right. tips on, um, 
purchasing commercial foods, because like I say, it is an important part of the overall plan for many, many people. And I, I, I know that you guys tick all the boxes for what to look for um, and transparency being, uh, you know, a major one. Uh, you know, I've had people say that they've reached out to X, you know, pet food company and they don't hear back or they don't get the answer. It's like, move on. Don't, don't, you know, why are you continuing with that? If they're not transparent, for me, lack of transparency means something potentially that you're hiding or, you know, totally. or lack of knowledge about your own product. Um, I mean, we've corresponded and, and I've seen some of your responses to people's questions. I've had that, that pleasure. And I can tell everybody that I don't, I've never seen anybody answer um, consumer questions from the pet food, the commercial pet food side with such amazing um detail, accuracy, you know, technical knowledge, scientific knowledge, and, and, and passion, caring about it. So it's, you know, I just want to thank you for being here and talking to us, because it's so obvious that you, you care. Um, and I wasn't aware that it was your husband that co-founded it with you. So yay, what a great <laughs> husband and wife, uh, you know, business to have. So thank you so much for being here. And thank is you, there you, uh, anything final that you want to say to anybody before we go? I am so appreciative of um, how accessible you've been to us too. I think um, you've just been a really valuable resource. It's always wonderful to bounce ideas off of someone who has really shared values. And I think we have a really similar approach to what we hope to see out of the space. Um, and sure. I think I'll just I'll end with, I think for a lot of people, they're not sure if their dog would like a diet that doesn't contain meat in it. So we have a, a free sample program that I think has been really successful for people. Like whether you, you want to end up feeding a totally different diet or you want to end up cooking, um, try, try a sample of it and just see if that maybe challenges something within you that, oh, my dog is loving this product and there's not a single trace of animals in it. So I think, I think that can be Yay. one of those, um, <laughs> one of those shifting moments where you're like, huh, and, you know, we need a lot of those little moments, I think, to add up to some bigger change in the space. So I'll close with that, yep. but I'm so um, appreciative of, of your help and I'm very grateful for your time. It's It's been lovely to connect. Yeah, we've been waiting for this for a long time for those who don't know it. <laughs> so, so it's awesome. And, and, I, and I will say you are, Caroline came to us today while traveling. So I apologize for those few moments where it might've had, you know, a little, static or blanking out but um you know that's what you get when you're in a hotel room and you're giving us your valuable time while you're on the road so thank you thanks so much caroline thank so, you uh, all right so thanks everyone for joining us and we'll see you next time on the plant powered dog podcast